Welcome to the Dance Centre podcast. I am your host, Claire French, and I'm joining you from the traditional unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh peoples, also known as Vancouver, Canada. I'll be talking to dancers, choreographers and other members of the dance world here on the West Coast to find out more about their creative work and practices and to discuss what it means to us to be dance professionals today. Thanks for joining us. Here we are again. We have another podcast for you. And today I am joined by Justine A. Chambers and Laurie Young. And I am delighted to be talking with them today. And also, I would just like to mention that Justine is our first guest to be invited back. She's graciously accepted this invitation and brought along Laurie. So thank you for both of those things, Justine. Entirely my pleasure. So just as we get started here, I'll give you a little bit of information on Justine and Laurie. Justine A. Chambers is a dance artist living on the traditional and ancestral Coast Salish territories of the Musqueam, Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Her practice considers choreography as an empathic practice rooted in collaborative creation and the body as a site of a cumulative embodied archive. She is Max Tyler Heights' mother. Laurie Young focuses on the embodiment of unauthorized histories and their representation and how relationships are choreographed between human and other than human beings in the theater, museum, and city. She has been working in transdisciplinary projects across the fields of dance studies, sensory, ethnography, and archival practices. Thank you both of you for joining me today. We're going to start, we're gonna save your duet information that you'll be presenting at the Dance Center in October for a little bit later. But first, we'd like to get to know you a little bit and maybe talk a little bit about some interesting stories you have about the beginnings of your careers, how you started in dance or how you feel today you would like to share the beginnings of your um, professional careers as dancers or choreographers. Justine, would you like to start? Sure. I mean, I think, uh, how did I, I mean, I come from a family who dances. I mean, not professionally, but dancing is a part of, a part of life in the way that when there's parties, there's dancing, when there's sorrow, there's dancing. And I think that that's sort of built into my family structure, like in the way of social dancing. So that's probably the real beginning. I won't bore you with most of my training, except for that I did do, I think like my real formation training started when I was about 14 or 15 in Ottawa. I say this because this is where Laurie and I overlap. I was quite serious about ballet, despite the fact that it was probably not going to be my career. But I trained with Nesta Tumin, which was really significant for me. She was one of the ballet roosts, and she was one of those teachers who, yeah, who clearly believed in me and my ability and my 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 love for dance and really nurtured it. But then I also trained at Le Groupe de la Place Royale, which is Laurie can tell you about her relationship to that place. Laurie and I did not know each other at this time. We just hmm. our ghosts, our past self ghosts, overlap. And then I I went to Ryerson because, well, I really thought I was going to go to New York and be on Broadway and become a fly girl, but my mother wasn't so interested in that plan of mine. So I went to Ryerson and um, trained there with Nadia Potts and Karen Duplessis and Becky St. Dennis, and Becky is now the director of that program. And that, I loved it, you know, I loved it. I loved being there. I felt like I was in the movie Fame every day, which was perfect for me. There was actors and technicians, and, you know, it was, it was great. And it was, it was another place where I felt 
I felt, I guess in many ways, I felt really supported or I felt like they made me feel like I could do that for a living. And shortly after that, I joined Rosier Dance Theater, which was very formative for me. I mean, I was in this big modern dance company at 19 and didn't know, you know, my elbow from my eyeball, uh, but was in there and with, you know, dancers who were all 10 years my senior, and there was a lot for me to learn in that space. And Robert really pushed me. I think about a good friend uh, talked about, I feel like, you know, I feel like I was broken like a filly, you know, there, like that was the the place where I, w- I kind of learned. I think the thing I learned the most about was performance. And um, I had my first show with him. And after that show, he came up to me and said, you can't be afraid on stage because the audience can tell. And that was the last time I decided to be afraid on stage, right? Mm-hmm. So he really taught me that you have to meet performance as it is in that moment and stay with the performance and that was like that was a beautiful gift it was also terrifying and he wasn't exactly nice about it but <laughs> yeah and but, but it had training a racehorse I mean you know <laughs> right this is it exactly and we were a high performance group that's for damn sure mm-hmm. so yeah I feel like and then eventually I left the company because I wanted other things from dance or I wanted to know other things about myself as a dancer what what I knew there were other things out there I wasn't being with, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. and then worked independently in Toronto until about 2004, till I was 28. And then I met my partner who lived in the States. And then I left Toronto to go live with him because, Mm. I mean, he wasn't my partner then. He was somebody I'd known for 20 days. But, you know, I took a risk, took a gamble. 18 years later, one child, it all worked out. No fear. (laughs) And in Vancouver, yeah. And in yeah. Vancouver. But I think, yeah. like, the my Vancouver time was really... I started to choreograph a little bit in Toronto, but my Vancouver mm-hmm. moment when I came to Vancouver was when I really... Uh, I realized that I wasn't going to have entry to the community unless I made work on myself. Yeah, I mean, it's the land of dance makers, really, isn't it? Like, it, feels it is. Like, yeah, yeah. It is. Yeah. So that was sort of the beginning of my dancing in Vancouver. Was I'd quit dancing for a few years, but was I edged my way back in through yeah. teaching uh, at Arts Umbrella and through beginning to make work. Yeah, great, Laurie. Would you like to um, kind of could, could, could canter canter up from what <laughs> <Yeah>. Justine? <laughs> Abs- yeah, absolutely. I love I love listening to you, Justine. Oh my goodness. <laughs> First of all, you are a fly girl in my eyes. And always will be. And I love <laughs> Thank you. and I love and I love the fame reference because I was thinking about my my, you know, sort of earlier dancing days and fame was prominent for me. Prominent in my understanding of myself and pop culture. And I really do credit that show, the TV show, with so much of my sense of what it means to be a or what it meant for me to be a dancer. Um, without exaggeration, Leroy is my hero, mm. and Coco. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Amen. And and because of that show, I decided to go into a high school of the arts, which uh, which was in Ottawa, it was Canterbury High School, and it kind of just continued. I went to Canterbury High School, and then at the time I was still a parallel student at at the time Le Groupe de la Place Royale, which turned into the Le Groupe Dance Lab. They had a school, so I was quite young. You know, I, I also won't bore you, bore you with my childhood uh, dance training. But what really happened is that I was in the school of the group and then I was kind of ushered into the company at also a very young age. I was 18 when I started my professional dance career. Yeah, so I was at Le Group, and I also lived in Montreal for a year. But Le Group really played a huge 
part of my uh, training and upbringing. And at the time, the group, as a dance lab, they were inviting different choreographers to work on the company in three to six week rehearsal sessions. Everyone from like Ellen Blackburn to uh, Meg Stewart, and this is where I met Sasha Waltz, a Berlin-based choreographer. And this was in 1996, 95, 96. And then she asked if I would like to join her in a project in Berlin on a short, you know, six-month contract. And I was actually quite tentative. I was really scared. It was, it was a big deal. And, you know, I had, a, I had been to Berlin prior and had actually, it was an amazing time, but also a terrifying time. It was terribly racist. I was petrified and exhilarated at the same time. But I came in 96 and I ended up staying until now <laughs> where I worked, <laughs> where else I continued to work with Sasha and the company until 2003 and have kind of been, and I have been, excuse me, freelancing as a performer, as a dance artist, and then also creating my own work off and on from that time. And um, yeah, and now now with Justine, we've had this opportunity to to meet and to sort of share our stories that so- somehow intersect in really interesting ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and here we are. Yeah, and we'll get to you know we'll we'll move through some of that too. And I know lots of people will be asking you questions about the duet as it's coming around, and you know we'll we'll get a lot more information about that. But this is really lovely. I just want to interject a little bit that. Fame was really big for me too in England, and I was in uh, I was at stage school. Um, I went to stage school part time while I was in London. So there's a, a lots of crossover there, and I can kind of imagine us all like, uh, <laughs> kind of in our places in all of our different cities, like all just like honing in on these on this amazing energy that we kind of felt and wanted in our lives. And like, yeah, I mean, just amazing. Mm-hmm. And for me, the same people were um, so inspirational to me. Um, mm. uh, and Debbie Allen still. Yes. So, still. you know, it's, yeah, still, it's still absolutely for so I many reasons. The altar. So many the reasons. Altar. So I just wanted to throw that in as well. <laughs> I love <laughs> so. that. When the first lockdowns came, one yeah. of the one of the things that I did was to start following Debbie Allen's Instagram and doing her um, yeah. at home classes. It kept me, me sane. too. I think really? <laughs> me too. Yeah, yeah. And I loved it when she messed up. I so loved it when she messed up because oh, yes. it just helped as a teacher too for me on Zoom. That it was just like, okay, if she's doing it, I'm like, I'm that's, fine. I'm in good company. Oh, so. that's so sweet. Right. <laughs> 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 okay, so let's move to. Well, when did you know? dance was your professional calling like I feel like already I just want to mention that there's something about both of you kind of jumping into the fire or understanding this line between fear and excitement or the kind of that space where it's the same thing you know but you just kind of the perception of you know where you are in relation to that I feel both of you have talked about that a little bit and I wonder if that comes with when you decide that the calling to dance is bigger than any obstacle that might come up or anything psychological that might prevent you from doing it. But do you have moments or do you have a moment that you, looking back, you could say it was there or is it, has it been one of those things that's just kind of like matured and just kind of aged? <laughs> I think for me, it was really like that sort of 14, age 14, 15, you know, and, and training with Nesta and training at Le Group. And like those were such completely different spaces. Mm. But I think I just, I mean, I've always been a performing kid. Like I, you know, (laughs) 
shocking I know just like my kid but like there's this like I've always felt like that's what I was good at and I've always felt most relaxed in performance like more than any other space in my entire life in the act of performance I am so fully myself and I am so fully relaxed that I think I always knew that but that could have been like I could have been anything with the performance mm. like you, you, performance happens everywhere all the time yeah but I think it was really in that moment with Nesta and at the group because the group the cool thing about it is like you're there and you're training but there's a company there right so you saw the dancers walking around in their dance clothes and with their coffee and I don't know like there was just this like I could see what a company looked like or would feel like and I was just like yeah that is exactly who I should be and I think I just dug in at that moment and mm. and was just sort of decided it was already happening somehow like I have a very still I have a big daydreamy part of my life where like I I like to see myself in the future I like to imagine myself in the future I like to imagine down to like what am I wearing well shocking what am I wearing but if you know me you know that's like a no-brainer but like what am I wearing and what am I eating and where am I sitting and when I'm in this place I imagine you know I've really done this sort of imaginary world building my entire life and I think that around that 14 15 mark is when I just thought this was this yeah clearly this is what I was gonna do mm-hmm. and it didn't really occur to me that I couldn't do it because I do have a family where like if you work hard you could possibly have anything mm-hmm. which we know is not entirely true but that worked out for me yeah yeah great Laurie yeah I I think similarly to Justin maybe even younger sorry I will bore you with my childhood training I did start in ballet no I started in jazz which was hilarious mm-hmm. And then Mm -hmm. my jazz teacher told me to try ballet because it would help my technique. And then from there, I was introduced to contemporary dance. And ah, I just, ah, the feeling, it was, it was so freeing and so exhilarating. And so like, like I can do this with my body. And I was just feeling my body in a way that was so at once transcendent and so present. And it was like... Mm. I just felt like this is, I have to keep doing this. And there was kind of no question. You know, this is a young childhood, very naive, but it was so real. And I just kind of, maybe not unlike Justine, I I was just like, of course I'm going to do this. It was so singular. I was so singular about it and so clear. Probably the clearest I've ever been in my life. And, you know, it gets muddy along the way. But no, I, I felt very, very committed and determined despite my mother's wishes you know it was not something that was supported dance was a hobby it was not a career and I really had to you know make it known and find my own way to do it sort of kind of made me work harder for it in in a sense but I was quite young and there's a part of me that has lost that in a way but if I if I go back into my visceral memory, it's it's very 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 much present. Thank you. I wonder if we can lead this into a segue into this idea of how the dance changes in us, or like not just ne- not just necessarily age, but as we're introduced to maybe new concepts or new relationships to things or new people, like how maybe there's so. So with that, like, I feel like already you've both uh, alluded to this idea of key influences in your life and work, including 
doing it despite your parents' wishes or knowing that you had your full support of your family. But but those kinds of work life influences that might be key for you. I think it's a really it's a really big question in terms because every day it could change a little bit depending on what you're doing. But but Laurie, particularly, and when you were just saying there that moving from jazz to ballet to contemporary, and then the muddying of the waters in as a, a career when you when you find yourself there, if that muddying has uh, kind of sprouted several kind of new kind of relationships to dance, um, or helped you even kind of feel like what contemporary dance is for you, and what those new sensations are being a performer now as you're older or just more experienced too you know just all the experiences you've had so could you name a couple of key influences I suppose it could be from mentors or collaborators or it could be like a personal sensation or personal moment you had you know like sometimes when you find yourself like just feeling like really happy and nothing's changed in life Mm. like it's just a moment that hits you you're walking down the street or you smell (laughs) something and just comes over you but is there anything that comes to mind (laughs) Wow, performance moment. I know it's big, but it's yeah. I mean, it, I've been so lucky to have such a long career, and it's gone mm-hmm. through such yeah. different change shifts and changes. I think one of the biggest shifts is kind of going from I was very much a company dancer for a long time, and really working as a dancer and a performer and repertoire and touring. And there was a. It's not that I feel like when I started to shift towards making work mm-hmm. or uh, being asked to collaborate on works there was a there was a really I was tapping into something that I wasn't able to access as a dance artist as somebody for somebody else so when mm-hmm. I started making my own work I was finding it harder and harder to work for other people when I was much much earlier on in my experimentation I guess you could call it as a choreographer I was just suddenly kind of questioning everything much more, uh, unable to answer for them, or felt like I needed more collaborative input with the choreographers who had asked me to be with them as dancers. And I felt such a curiosity to know what making work on my own or with collaborators could, could give me. And that's really unfurled into a very expanded understanding of what choreography is. And while I can't so I can't really say one you know, sort of cathartic moment, but I, I, I am actually going to, no, I am going to say that meeting Justine has really been really deeply moving where, you know, choreographic interests sort of collide and, and come together, but also friendship. And that's, I think this is something that's become like the human in each other, the human as colleagues, the human, like, just oh man taking care and how that has to be you know foremost in any kind of mm, space sharing work sharing life sharing yeah so in, in that sense that this work and this journey with Justine has been deeply deeply influential making space to take care mm. in the professional environment I think is just what I'm getting from both of you. <laughs> so kind of, yeah, definitely. Justine? I mean, I think along the way, there have been so many, I mean, 
for me, dancing is just relationships. I mean, that is it. We're just building relationships for the short term, uh, hopefully for the long term. And sometimes you think it'll be for the long term and then you hang out and you're like, peace, I'm out. I don't want to be with you. But I think the relationship building is key. And, and there have been so many, you know, teachers and dancers and, and people I know and people I don't know and performances along the way that have like taking me away from what I thought I was doing and also have brought me back to what I was doing initially. Like, I I think that there is this thing that happens where, you know, there's always this bratty moment or has, I see it as a teacher too, being like a a long-term teacher in many institutions in this country that there's a bratty moment where we reject everything that we got and it's all bullshit and what do they know and da, 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 da. And that's a really critical moment. And I think my rejection period, I've had a few of them. <laughs> Guess I'm just a, like a lifelong brat. <laughs> and so, but you know, we don't have that much time for me to name them all. And I would always, I'm always in this fear of stepping on the landmine of forgetting someone and making some political gaffe. So I will leave all those people out, but I think many of those people know who they are. And I think, but when you said, you know, an influence, and I think of like more recent influence for me or like body of influence was eight days which is this gathering for choreographers that started in 2012 that ted robinson and amy henderson spearheaded and in in, inside the bubble of eight days i felt like all of a sudden dancing made sense to me again because it hadn't made sense to me for a very very long time and or like the making and again this this world of care right this world of care that you know we're doing this incredibly beautiful vulnerable heart moving thing yet in the spaces or in the structures they were the antithesis of that you know they were racist and they were sexist and they were deeply unjust and i always was just in a deep frustration about about the culture of the dance machine or the dance market or the hierarchies in dance and who got what blah blah but at eight days there's people really talking about it and thinking about it and and more than anything being joyful about it the difficulty you know not just being like everything sucks and everyone's hard and we're better than everybody totally not the case it was like where do we where do we find joy and in that second year of eight days Lori was there I was on the selection cup committee I was like what's this weirdo doing in Berlin wait we have the same history how do we have the same history and I don't know this person but I met Lori and that as Lori said it was like yeah I mean I talked earlier about daydreaming into the future and world building that I think, like Laurie said, when you move from being a dancer only to being a dancer who makes work, our relationship to being a dancer can really become incredibly wobbly and unsure and you don't know how to place yourself as a dancer anymore because you have ideas and thoughts and desires and a desire for a certain kind of accountability to the relationship of being with a choreographer. And I feel like with Laurie inside of our work, We've done a kind of world building, and I feel like I try and do it in all of the processes that are that are mine, that I'm in charge of, that I hold, but that we can actually build the world we want inside the world of the dancing, right, or inside of that world, because I can't, I don't feel like I can change the Canadian government, I don't feel like I can change the municipal government, like, I don't feel like I can change the whole world of dance, but inside my room with my people or our room with our people who we love, we can insist on a better kind of world inside of that space. And and I think that, I mean, we were calling ourselves the house of wellness when we were working in Berlin because you would end, like we had food in the fridge and we would have a hot lunch and we had 
supplements on the table and Lori was super sick and she needed to sleep. And then I believe we sent you home one day, you know, that like that was your well-being is on the table because we are nothing without you well, you know, and like, so that house of wellness thing has been something that I, I, I try and do everywhere. But yeah, there was something about that, that encounter at eight days that sort of made me know the things that I thought could be possible actually were. And I wasn't the only one thinking about it. Yeah, that's really beautiful. And the friendships, the friendships yeah. that emerged from that have been have been life changing for me. Yeah. Yeah. Should we talk a little bit about motherhood? <laughs> Always. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> Over to you two. <laughs> <laughs> maybe in in terms of maybe the impact or uh, or the to keep up this idea of the joyful and the wellness oh. and the and how maybe how that shifts things a little bit about what those terms mean suddenly in this you know in that new situation but um maybe the impact on that uh, on not necessarily our professional lives however you would like to talk about it really I mean but just it feels like a it's a big I know it's a big part of your work together in how you've described it and so I think this is really opportunity for you to kind of maybe delve into that a little bit together Mm-hmm. Me I mean, Lori was a mom first. I was a mom first. <laughs> <When> I, <laughs> yeah, Lori was a mom first. She came to eight days, uh, and then every now and then, when Milo, little Milo, was three, mm-hmm. right? yeah, two and a half, three, yeah, three, and just seeing the potential, like the possibility for motherhood inside of dancing. I mean, I think I come from a generation where if you were a mother. You didn't talk about it. You didn't. You just like shut up and did what everything else did, and you pretended you weren't a mother. That your work was supposed to be your baby. Mm-hmm. But I feel like my career took off the minute I became a mother. Like I feel like all of like career as a choreographer, you know, as having sort of more exposure beyond the borders of British Columbia. And I feel like everything I've made has been received well. And I think that has everything to do with being a mother because your worldview changes. I was like, you become way less myopic because not nothing's about you anymore, you know, and, and there's a beauty to that. It has like limited what I can do as an artist. Uh, it's also made me much more demanding as an artist. Like if you're going to have me, you have my kid too. And if you can't support that, I don't need to do the gig. And I feel great about that. And it's not, it's not contentious for me. It's not uh, combative. It's just like, that's just what it is because I'm a mom first, you know, uh, I'm a mom before I'm an artist because I have no choice. And because I chose it at the same time. And I think the thing about working with another mother is you don't have to explain all the internal, all the simultaneous conflicting emotions that you have. Uh, Not wanting to be at a six hour rehearsal because you don't want to be away from your kid that long when they're little or when they're, you know, whatever. Or knowing that you probably aren't going to sleep because you just got to Berlin and your kid's jet lag. They don't give a shit about jet lag. They're waking up at 2 a.m. to party and that's it, you know. So having someone with you where you're not having to, like, beg for mercy for your motherhood, but someone's like, no, go, do it, see it. Like, it's just a no, there's no discussion. But then also this thing that, like, you know, you become a mother and then you see the world and everyone's somebody's baby and it just breaks you. And also bolsters you like it's so it means the way you're in the world, I think, is like just way more empathic, you know, because 
you can see the baby in everyone, right? Just like sometimes you can see how we're all going to be 100. Yeah. And then there's like the reality is like training. What the hell's training after you become a mother? Like whatever. You just get in shape for work and hope it works, you know? Like there's all these things that like to juggle our lives, which both Lori and I, our lives aren't just in a studio. Like we're in books and we're talking and our our, our choreographic pro- practice is incredibly expansive and moves beyond just dancing the work of dancing or that dancing is many, many things for us. And I think being a mother has made me feel much more sanguine about that. The fact that I can't be in a studio three hours a day training and like punching out movement all the time, but I can be thinking about dancing and that is also me dancing and working. So I think there's something about motherhood. Uh, The other, not long ago, I performed in work for Kate Franklin as a dancer. And in my bio, as you know, I always, the last thing is that I, uh, I'm Max Tyler Heights' mother. And my the choreographer, Kate Franklin's in-law said, oh, you know, who's Max Tyler Height? And uh, Kate said, oh, that's Justine's kid, you know? And he said, yeah, but who is he? Because I make it sound like my kid's some celebrity, oh. I guess, in that uh. sense. <laughs> and Kate's like, yes. no, I'm just her six-year-old, you know? <laughs> and um, no one and everyone, right? So, um I guess that kind of like, I love that moment that there's this expectation that he would be some huge influential person in the world. And, you know, he may very well be, but the fact is he's the huge influence over me. And he, he determines my time and my availability. He, he determines my mood often. And I just feel like he is, he is the, in, the ultimate influencer uh, for me and the work I make. Mm-hmm. It's interesting too, that, that, draws attention to you drawing attention to being a mother as a professional artist by putting it in your bio and that somebody read the bio and expected that to mean something different. I think that's that there's a, yeah, there's a really nice interrelation there. Laurie, would you like to add anything? (laughs) Yeah. Gosh. Mothering is Mm. so much about care, (laughs) but it's, clearly but it's also really can be really brutal and you know we yeah and I think that's something really important to acknowledge and you know I think my experience of being a mother in Berlin and a working artist in Berlin is very different than for people who live in Canada because daycare here is subsidized it's free so that allowed me in in some ways to um, have a choice to work different kinds of hours because I had someone to take care of my very young child. That's not to be overlooked because it's, yeah, it's free here. So um, I feel like I was really able to, in some ways, keep working creatively in a way that I don't think I would have been able to, or I would have had to do it very differently had I been in Canada. Mm-hmm. And now things are shifting again. You know, Milo just came home from his first day of uh, secondary school. And so I'm, you know, I'm, it's, it's, yeah, I know, grade seven, you know, so I'm, I'm, I can't believe it. And so now I'm like, oh my God, but now he's being independent and doing all these things. And now what? So, you know, this, this sort of relationship that you build with time is also shifting with, with him. But yeah, you know, when I started working, the work, the conditions were a certain way and they, in, in many instances, they haven't changed, but you do or I do, you know, your life, your, your life conditions change, what you need change. Um, and so, 
I'm fortunate to be able to work with people or be resourced enough to create the conditions so that work can be more than manageable, but actually enjoyable. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Fruitful and yeah. 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 It's making me think, would you, would you say that being mothers is also becoming mother is one of the biggest challenges that you faced or would you not call it a challenge? Yes. yes, it's a challenge. Yes. So hard. No, nobody <laughs> so told me it would be this hard. Like, <laughs> I know. I didn't know. How could they? <laughs> I don't know anything. We wouldn't have believed them anyway. You wouldn't have believed them. You'd like, have done yeah, it anyway. Do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You'd have done it anyway. I don't know it's what a very I'm an excitement doing. thing right there. <laughs> it's, yes. That's good. And, yeah. And you're also comfortable not knowing. Yeah, well-ish, you know, just when you think that you know something, they change. Yeah. It's very it's very annoying. Yes. <laughs> You're like, wait, I thought you always liked edamame. No, not anymore? Damn it. I just bought 18 packs from Costco, you know? <laughs> well, now it's... Exactly. I mean, now it's, I mean, you know, now it's also shifting because Milo is almost, is my height, you know? And so there's that... Your, your young child is growing up just like a shifting time so quickly and so dramatically right now. It's, it's quite a journey. And literally in that mm. instance where you're seeing the vertical yeah. <laughs> kind of you know, like yes. time, yeah. vertical time. I know. I mean, I'm not that tall, but still yeah. <laughs> it's like shooting up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I'm not a mother, but um, my and I'm not going to talk to any of that, but just in terms of height, my cousins, my nephews, even my niece. Oh, so it's, yeah, yeah, just on that level. That's all I'll say. Okay. I'm going to stick with challenges a little bit before I move on to your collaboration, because underlying a lot of this that I haven't kind of uh, jumped on yet, but I feel like needs a little bit of room in this conversation to talk about racism, sexism. Uh, feeling uh, even marginalized within quite privileged situations. Like you, you both talked about having amazing training and these, uh, and, and these phenomenal experiences very young um, that are privileged positions to be in, you know, access to those kinds of resources, to those people, to those environments to, and, and swept up out of those environments into the privilege of being in companies that are, you know, and alongside that, you're having to face all of these, you know, kind of, as you talked about, Laurie, when you first got to Berlin, the racism that was there and, and Justine, you've mentioned the sexism and all of those and, and just attitude that you've faced and that is in the culture that you've, you know, in eight days you were, you were addressing, you know, with a group. And, and I just think we should give that a bit of space because I'd love to know, how you faced those challenges, how you deal with those challenges. And I also feel like for both of you, I know Justine does this and Laurie, I don't know you well, but but I'm sure this is part of your practice that in transposing your experiences for other people and sharing your wisdom, if you like, with others, that is part of it is like conduct, you know, how do you practice care? How do you consider care for yourself as you practice? And I think they're really great lessons moving forward um, because younger people are learning those from you, from us. And so how have you faced those? How are you maybe tackling those? Where are, where are we with that? Where do you think we are with that? With that, in quotation marks, <laughs> you say. 
terrible gesture. Not as sophisticated as their gestures, by the way. <laughs> by any means. Oh gosh, are we in? Oh, is it improving? Are we in a? Are people listening? Is there space for alternative? One of the things I see in your duet is an alternative virtuosity. I'm not going to dwell on it here, but but I I think there's a there's an it's an interesting time where there's an ex, expansion of that idea of virtuosity, an expansion of choreography, an expansion of dance, an expansion of audiences engagement with these things and with um, physical arts, kinetic arts, all of it. But are we tackling these bigger issues by in doing that? Can we? Do you feel you are? Yeah. I mean, I think, of course we can. I mean, the sheer fact that Laurie and I are dancing in the way we are in a world as BIPOC mothers, I mean, that into itself, a hundred years ago, this would not have been a, a possibility for me outside of some sort of body house, tawdry situation, right? Like yeah. either of us, this is like, so, you know, I, I, I do, I do think obviously there's improvement. Is there progress all the time is sort of the question that I have, like there's improvement around the optics of human rights. I don't even know if they're always actually worked through there are certain things that had to happen in the world for humans to feel evolved or like my grandmother when she was born she was considered two-thirds of a human mm. for most of her life you know so yeah things have improved maybe in a large way I think in particular in that this dance community I feel a real commitment to anti-racism I I feel a real commitment to refocusing our host nations I feel a real a real commitment to being anti-sexist and to being you know anti all the phobics transphobic queer phobic all of it I think what I get worried about is that this becomes um, we become only conceptual or theoretical and you forget about the practical experience of living as a BIPOC individual and I don't feel like I'm trying to tackle it inside this dance. I think perhaps maybe, and Laurie, you can correct me if you're wrong, but maybe we're trying to lay it bare a little bit. Mm. That, yeah, like, mm. of course, I'm with you. Like, there's, we're trying to be like, this, this is what these bodies hold. And like, literally in the past, how did I deal with racism? A forward bend. I would be in a studio, someone would say some stupid racist shit, and I would go into a forward bend because I was 25 and I didn't know what the hell to do in that moment. A lot of my career was absolute silence so that I could stay in the room because it felt more important to me to stay in the room. And then over time, you get more courageous or you get more tired or the accumulation of transgressions or microaggressions or literally not micro, totally micro. macroaggressions. <laughs> yeah. You just can't anymore, right? There's a moment where you're full. And then, you know, we're in this moment, this, you know, I feel like how many times have I said this, like this post-George Floyd moment has us all reckoning a little bit more with everything. And in particular, white people working really hard to try and grapple with their own sort of un unearthed biases or the biases that they've allowed or like where they're complicit or you know, we, I see this work happening and, but to be honest, I feel in this moment also as a person of color, as a fair skinned black person, there's all this sort of like pulling 
me as a resource for working through oppression politics. And to be honest, I'm so tired. I'm so tired. I'm more tired of that in some ways than anything else, you know, that I kind of feel like, can you guys go sort yourselves? Because I've been doing this for a long time. I think it, I was born in 1975, so probably that long, you know, uh, and, and at which point do I have to continue to shepherd you through, like, the aftermath of colonialism or the continuing math of colonialism. Like, so yes, I think like what's better now is I can take space in a really maybe more aggressive way because I'm incredibly middle-aged. I have an established career and these are all privileges in a way also. And I have a partner like to do it alone is so scary and you're so worried I, I'm so ready to be blackballed at any moment for saying something that's difficult for other people. Mm-hmm. But when you do it with someone else, like Lori and I do this together and I do it together with so many people. I do it mm-hmm. together with Sufe and I do it together with Bopa Chai at Artspe, who's just left Artspeak and with Vanessa Kwan and with Michael Yamamoto. Like there are so many people, uh, women of color, people of color I can do this with. And I'm grateful for that, that I there is always this moment where I'm so, I feel so exposed the last Mm. two years and I'm old enough to be able to deal with it and to have tools and a therapist and all that stuff, right? But I think about young people who are so exposed in this moment and them learning and growing into being a racialized person is totally, it's not private for them. And it was a little bit more private for me because of when I was born and how I was born and blah, 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 blah. The time, right? Like I was a pre, I'm a, we're all pre-internet people. Mm -hmm. So there's perhaps a little bit more privacy. So I do think about the exposure of young people, like being watched as you contend with these mm. world shifts, you know? And then I have this question, did the shift even happen? Like, I felt like there was this beautiful portal that opened and I always, I'm in this feeling sometimes that it's just closing but not completely because we do the work, right? We do the hard work to keep those conversations alive and to be difficult for people just, and to be honest, sometimes we're difficult just because we're ourselves. We don't do yes. anything else but be ourselves and we're difficult yeah. for people. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. I just want to, just before Laurie speaks to it, I just want to say that, that I've felt this, I'm uh, sensitive to all of this it's not necessarily new information for me, but it is a new space to be as well for like uh, for my relationship to my art making and and I'm allowing that to to shift. I'm I'm just giving it space to to shift, and so I'm I don't want I don't want then to shut it down and close that space up again and go well I I tried that now I'm going to go back to what I know I, and it's going to take time, and I'm giving it time mm. to shift. So I just wanted to put that in. It's my way of dealing with this. A, a discomfort I have and a hypersensitivity I have to certain behaviors I might have, you know, kind of added to or certain things I might have believed that I didn't commit to the belief, but I acted on it Ooh. as if it was a belief. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, and it's just making me question those things. So I appreciate you saying a forward bend because I think about the amount of times I might have been in a studio and my behavior in a similar way, whether it's physical or leaving a room or you know, um, asserting my opinion at a particular moment and the why of that or what, what makes me do it, like what what is driving that is something I'm really, really paying attention to now. So, Laurie, mm-hmm. would you like to... Um... Wow, there's so, there's so much to, to think about <laughs> and respond to. 
I do, I do feel like things have shifted. I feel like there is more attention given to art making that speaks to racism, sexism, transphobia, queerphobia. I do, I see that in the curation. I see that in the programming. I see more representation. And also at the same time, I'm exhausted. <laughs> it's so important. The work is so important. And at the same time, I'm exhausted that this has to happen. And what, where could that, a space for abstraction be for those who are racialized, for those who are marginalized? I just, there's, you're always speaking for more than yourself as a BIPOC person. And that's so tiring. It's so tiring. But yes, I do, I do feel like there is a shift within a bubble, you know, and you step half a centimeter outside of the bubble and like, yeah. <laughs> what, yeah. what rock have I been under? What rock have you been under? So, you know, there, there is conversations happening. There is dialogue, but the insistence still needs to be there. You have to say again and again and again. And this is something we, we talk about in our duet, Justine, you know, it's this repetition, you know, repetition as a choreo as a choreographic device, but it's really like, no, you're not getting the message we have to say this again and again mm -hmm. and in this way and with this gesture and with these signs and with this headline. And so it's not, it's not to be taken for granted that the message, the message is out there because again, like you step two centimeters over and <laughs> they're not getting the message, you know? Mm -hmm. I think about, you know, 100 more and just the more speaks to that mm -hmm. idea that it's like, it, 100 isn't enough, you know, even if it's 100% committed, it still takes more yeah. than that yeah. to like, you know, like it makes me think of that in the way. But I do have to say, I mean, there is something quite remarkable about how you have packaged it's so stylish, your show. It's just like, it's, I mean, seriously. What I else mean, would it be? Seriously. You sound surprised. Yeah. No. no, 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 I'm not. But, 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 but I'm not but, at all. But for some of the listeners, if they don't know what's coming, just it's it's pure style. So oh. um, I'm, I'm happy for the repetition to be like 24 hours of repetition yeah. I could watch. I mean, it's just, it's stunning. And there's there's something about the, there is something about care in every single gesture. There is something about in there's something about care in your performance. And I don't not every performer has that care for an audience or for each other. They just don't. And mm -hmm. I I think there's and I think there's something really quite beautiful and undeniable about that in in the duet. So from from what I've been able to see so far. Thank so you. I know you both do a lot of things a lot of things like independently of each other but I, I we will have to bring this interview to a close very soon although I think you know it, it's another you know we can go and find out about you and we mm -hmm. can look at your research and I just want to mention a couple of things like Laurie would you just uh, could you just mention something about your VW fellowship um arts and science fellowship in Berlin just a little Sh sentence sure. about that we can research it ourselves yeah <laughs> sure <laughs> About six years ago, I was given the opportunity to, I was given the grant uh, given out by the VW, the Volkswagen. So it has nothing to do with the car company. It was, that was just the seed money. So 
I'm not advertising for VW. Mm-hmm. And it was a special program designed to bring artists and scientists or academics or scholars together. So that was my first moment when, when I was really able to work truly transdisciplinary. So I, was, I, I, I found my people and I was starting to work with a sensory ethnographer as well as um, anthropologists. And some of the work involved me in uh, creating audio guides, choreographic audio guides for natural history museums. So that's kind of a little, a little bit of what, what was coming out of that, uh, that fellowship. But what, what it really did was introduce me to whole worlds of academia and scholarly thinking in a way that I never would have done before. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. And I wanted to just mention that because of the kind of when Justine mentioned that the dancing happens kind of outside of the studio and, and in the research and things you do, I think that's a really good example of one of those um, spaces. Um, and Justine, would you like to mention any of your projects at this point, your writing perhaps? I mean, we mentioned it before in the previous podcast. So if people would like to go back and, and listen to the podcast I, I did with Justine last year, but we talked quite a bit about um, embodiment and, and writing on that and Justine's um, connections with visual artists, as she was saying earlier in the community and a whole bunch of other people. But if there's something you'd like to mention now around um, that. I think one project which started off full on as a dance project, Semi Precious, it sort of started in 2017 and then it sort of stretched into, I don't know, forever. We just kept working on it as a research project and we worked on it in at Artspeak with BOPA. Chai invited us to come and work on it there. They got a new floor put in. So all of a sudden there was a beautiful floor and she's like, you, you want to like break in this floor with your dancers. But what has happened is I let go of the project as a dance performance because the thing I want to do with it, actually, I would need to have Las Vegas money. Like I'd have to be a show in Vegas that actually no one in Vegas would want to see, but I would need that. <laughs> but also I just realized that it was sort of maybe more, uh, it, it was words, it was words and that our scores, we had like 72 scores that were running simultaneously. And I just realized that maybe it could be a book. Um, I got approached by Art Speak to like think about making a small publication with them. So that's, with a designer now and in the throes of becoming uh, a publication. But for me, it's very much still the dance piece, but it is now a series of like bits of the score, but then filled out with bits of musings or text or references to other thinkers or artists. And and I think that's like my most, I feel very excited and terrified about that (laughs) being a public thing for the world to consume or to take in. But I also feel very proud of, how it came about and who I worked with to find those words and thoughts. And Natalie Pershwitz, who I love and collaborated with on the mm-hmm. installation, she's made, she's made images for it based on photo, from taken from photographs. So yeah, I think that's like Beautiful. the thing that will happen. Well, it'll arrive sometime. I don't know when I'm in, yeah. you know, I, I can't hold yeah. the deadline. I just know that I submitted my things and it happened and we did all the final edits and now I'm like, yeah. Phew, so it's coming. It. And in the yeah. meantime, life continues. <laughs> so <done>. yeah. <laughs> and that will appear on your, come through the mail and be like, look, oh my gosh. Is that- oh, look, I did. <laughs> it happened. So what's now and what's next? My last question to you. We have, we're going to see the duet in October. You have already performed it in, in Berlin. I believe that's where it premiered. Yeah. Is that correct? Correct. And have you already performed it in Ottawa and Montreal? No, because that was delayed because of the 
pandemic. So, yeah, so that's possible. But we get to see it in Vancouver in October. And we go to Montreal and Ottawa directly after. Yeah. So we built our little, we have our tour. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's great. So that is happening. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so um, present day realities, your upcoming schedules, like what's a week look like? <laughs> well. I'm in a so nutshell, in a nutshell. I'm, yeah. I'm still on summer mode, but uh, in two weeks, my reality looks like um, I'll be teaching at SFU again, a couple mm. courses this fall, but I'm also starting uh, an MFA at mm. the school at the same time. So my, my life is about to go into a whole other mode. Um, it feels like an MFA could be a two-year residency, and that's kind of how I'm trying. To yeah, absolutely. It. Are you doing it at SFU then? I am. It's very yeah. strange. All sorts of yeah. conflict of interest going on. Wow. No, 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 that's good. <laughs> I, um, but... Yeah, I moved to Vancouver to do my MFA at SFU in 1997. So, yeah, that's why okay. I ended up in Vancouver. So 97 to 99 was my MFA time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. That's my what that. So what's that going to look like? A lot. Mm-hmm. A, a lot. lot. That is a lot. lot. Exciting, oh. though. Yeah. It's totally yeah. exciting. Totally yeah, exciting. Yeah. 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 Great. Laurie? What am I doing? Uh, well, I just got, I'm finishing summer mode. I was just in Toronto, actually, visiting my family for the first time in three years, which was yeah. beautiful. Yeah. And now I'm back and working on an exhibition showing with Annika Joyce-Sadiq, which will be at D21 in Leipzig. So that's going to be actually installation work um, and sculptures, as well as a choreographic performance. And working um, with a fantastic video filmmaker called Vika Kirschenbauer as a performer in their work. And yeah, um, it's going to be a lovely full week, weeks, and then coming back to Canada (laughs) where I'll be reunited with my love, Justine. Yeah, (laughs) so great. So wonderful. Well, thank you so much for spending this hour with me. Um, I really do appreciate it. feel all kind of uh, expansive and ready for my ready for my day yeah thank you and um Thanks, good luck with the tour lovely to meet you laurie thank you okay. nice to see you justine thank you so much bye 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 thank you so much for listening we would love for you to subscribe rate and review wherever you get your podcasts as this will help other listeners find us and help us to grow our dance audience. We'll be back next month. In the meantime, you can follow us on Facebook at The Dance Centre, Twitter at Dance Centre, and Instagram at The Dance Centre BC. And if you'd like to support our work, please consider making a donation. Just go to our website at thedancecentre.ca where you'll find extensive information about our upcoming programmes and events. The music for the Dance Centre podcast was composed by James B. Maxwell. Always a pleasure to connect with you through dance. Until next time. Mm-hmm.